Today, we're going to talk about one of the most fun and exciting topics ever. Taxes. Woohoo. Yes. All right. I'm kidding. Obviously, doing your taxes about as fun as fixing problems after a major Windows update does a number on your system. Now, you do have to file your taxes, commit tax evasion, and the IRS will throw your butt into jail. It's tiny, but it's cozy. Let's just hope your roommate's really nice. Take liberties with your tax calculations and you could get in big trouble too. Reminds me, maybe you know this answer. What do you call a game where Mario does his taxes in the ocean? Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, I know that's bad. Well, here's a ray of sunshine. Your tax return this year should be a lot easier to file than, say, in 2021. And you have a lot of different tax programs to help you out. Say you just want a quick and easy tax experience. TurboTax makes filing a streamlined, relatively speedy process. The downside, if you do not have a simple return, it's going to cost you. On the other hand, FreeTaxUSA is a great option if you want to file for cheap. It only costs around $15 to file your state taxes. FreeTaxUSA promises that you're going to get the same calculations and tax refunds as the more expensive services. So, if you, and here's something else to know Did you file with HR Block or TurboTax last year? Not a problem, they say. You can just import all the data. And speaking of HR Block, they're pretty easy to use too, and pricing is super straightforward. That's a big contrast to TurboTax, which can be a bit. Uh, let's just say nebulous when it comes to pricing. H&R Block also comes with downloadable mobile apps and really good options for human help. It can be pretty expensive though. There's one thing to know that all these tax services have their own tiers and price lists. For example, salaried employees will go through a totally different tax program than say freelancers. The bottom line, when it comes to taxes, things get complicated really quickly. You can try to do the research yourself, but nothing beats speaking with an expert. A few minutes on the phone with a person who knows the system inside and out is just as good as a few hours scrambling for answers, and you never know what you're going to find on the internet. And it's also a good way to save yourself time, too. That's why I invited a good friend of our podcast, Rachel Cheek, to this episode. She's an accountant, and she's an expert at untangling the sticky web of taxes. So in this episode, Rachel and I are going to break down tax changes that you need to know about. You have cryptocurrency, what about that new $600 rule and more? You have to be on your toes. And let me tell you, I tried to pay my taxes with a smile and the IRS said they wanted cash. Stay right where you are. We have a lot coming up you simply cannot afford to miss. Now, if you think no one cares if you live or die, Try not paying your taxes. When I talk about my taxes, I try to imagine all the fun things I can do when I'm finally signing that return. My mind goes to hiking and boating, vacation, long rides down the road with my favorite car. My favorite car is my SLS. It's a Mercedes supercar. It has those gold wings. Oh, she's such a beauty. Anyway, I know a lot of things about cars, but there's no way that I am a tax expert. I mean, I turn to the woman who takes care of my own taxes, Rachel Cheek. Rachel has worked with large corporations, the SEC, mergers, acquisitions, and she's just super wonderful and super smart. I mean, how do I know? Yes, she does my taxes, and I only work with the best. Well, hello, Rachel, and thank you for being here with Kim Commando Explains. We're going to clear up every single tax question and issue there is in the entire universe. Well, maybe not the universe. So, Rachel, when people sit down to start doing their 2021 taxes, which is like, oh, my gosh, fun times. Uh, yes, we're all excited. Um, 
What's the biggest mistake that you see time and time again? The biggest mistake I see is people not reporting income. Um, for example, Venmo, PayPal, um, clients who have um, their own businesses, not used to reporting that income because they've never received 1099s before. You know, and that makes sense because when you sit down, you normally like you get on the kitchen counter and then you get all your receipts together, but you didn't get a 1099. But the IRS knows that you made that money, right? They will now. Um, the IRS has always said you report the income whether you received a 1099 or not. But now with Venmo, they are going to be required to report these transactions of anything that's $600 or more. So Venmo, and then there are the other services too. But like if you drive for Uber, is Uber going to say that to the IRS or Lyft or TaskRabbit or any of the other gig economies? Yeah, Uber, Lyft, all of those started reporting a couple years ago through 1099Ks. Um, But now more recently, you know, hairdressers, trainers, people who are receiving cash, let's say through Venmo, who really weren't thinking that as business income, maybe those, those items are all getting reported as well. Oh, see, now that's interesting. Because if you were living on cash tips, right now, suddenly it's like, oh, wait a minute. Exactly. Uh, Everybody knows. Yep. So the IRS always said you're required to report it, whether you received a 1099 or not, but now they have a way of tracing it. So everything is basically going back to form-based. So they will receive amounts saying you you underreported. So the minute that you only report, let's say, $1,000 and you really got 2000 the IRS is going to know and it's all matching. So a notice will automatically go out. Now, what about COVID? Because COVID was still going strong last year, right? 2021. Did you get COVID by a chance? Oh, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> was it was it bad? No, not at all. <laughs> it was a couple, two days. Of, uh, that was probably when everybody had it in a, about a month ago. <laughs> so two days I had a yes. bad time, but not too bad. You know, and I sat there when I got it. I was like, oh, man, I know this is it. And then I went and got a positive test, of course. Um but I really started thinking back in my life. I had worse colds and worse flus. Oh yeah, than I did. Oh yeah, this but I time think it's just not knowing what to expect. <laughs> you know what? That's what Ian said. My son. He's like, you know, I just the biggest part. He said the the worrisome part rather was that he didn't know if it would go bad or worse or yep. you know how many days it would last. And you know, his friend got sick, his other friend didn't. Um, but anyway, so so with COVID last year, what do we have to be aware of with that in our taxes? Um, there, any business that received any type of credits, um, employee retention credits, PPP loans, um, SBA loans, all of those need to be reported on the return. So if, if a company received a PPP loan and it was forgiven, you need to report that it was forgiven. So that way, and you have to show what year it was reported, um, or what year it was forgiven. So, and the employee retention credit a lot of companies applied for this and let's say they applied for it for 2021, but you didn't get the credit until 2022. The IRS is saying you have to match up the credit to when the wages were paid. So that's creating some timing issues for a lot of companies right now. Now work from home always is a big issue, right? I mean, how much of my equipment do I really use? I mean, I have my dedicated home office. I'm using this chair in my bedroom. (laughs) That's the place to work from. Um, How do you decide 
what is tax deductible for working from home? Because so many people are still doing it uh, versus, no, this is something that you just can't take off your taxes. Well, if you're a W-2 employee and you're working from home, unfortunately, with the way the tax laws are right now, you're not able to deduct any of these unreimbursed business expenses that you have that you're incurring from working from home. If you have your own business, then you can deduct your home office expenses, but it has to be a designated room um, that you're using and you report basically the square footage of the room and, and the expenses that you have. So let's say you have to have a designated internet line, um, phone, all those things can be used towards your home office. But again, that's only if you're self-employed. If you're a W-2 employee, unless your employer is reimbursing you, um, there, there's, no, there's no deduction for that. See, that's a sad face for me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> sad face for many people. I can't deduct any. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you have so many people that are doing side jobs and side hustles. And so they have a full-time job. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you saw the story in the Wall Street Journal, but the biggest thing that people have when they're working from home now is they not only have one job, but they have two jobs. They're actually having two full-time jobs without either employer knowing about it, which is just crazy <laughs> to me. But so, but if you have a side hustle, does that change the formula a little bit? Um, it doesn't if they're both, if both, if the side hustle is a W-2 as well. If you are a contractor and basically you're earning 1099 income and you're not an employee, then it does change the nature of that. And you can deduct, you know, your home office expenses if it's your own business. Do you have to still keep track of everything? Like I remember years ago, you used to have to keep like a mileage log in your car if you were deducting mileage or going to and from clients. Is that still the case? Yes. The IRS does require you to, you know, substantiate your expenses. So keeping logs, um, you know, mileage logs that you keep on paper, pretty old school, but some people still do that. There's a lot of apps available now that when you get in the car, you can hit start or you can hit swipe left or right. And it allows you to say business personal. So a lot of people use that as well to help track that so that there's some record of those miles or those business expenses, but they do want to see some sort of substantiation on that. So when you, you look at expenses, are there any standouts where people may not necessarily deduct these things when they could be deducting these things? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people, they don't realize what they're allowed to deduct. So let's say someone goes out and does a side hustle and they're an Uber driver. Well, if they're using their phone for driving around, which obviously they have to do, well, then you can take a portion of that phone and deduct it against that income. Um, a lot of times, you know, gas, mileage, they know that automatically. But, you know, paying for that phone and that service, you, you, they, that is a deduction as well. Um, sometimes it's just thinking a little bit outside the box of, you know, what are you doing and what do you need to have in order to be able to generate that income? So if you have to have a computer at home to generate some of that income, if you need a laptop, well, that may be a, a business expense. Can you deduct the whole thing like 100% or is it only like, you know, I'm on Facebook 10% of the time, so I can only deduct 90%? Yeah. It, it's kind of hard to figure, you know, what's business, what's personal, because a lot of times it is mixed. But, you know, even a cell phone, you know, you're probably using it some for personal use. But if the majority of it is, is business use, then we want to take a bigger percentage of that. So sometimes it's just a discussion to determine, well, how much of your day is spent on the phone for business versus how much are you using it personally? So, you know, sometimes it could be 50%, but sometimes it can be 90%.
But then you also have all the supplies too, like your printer, your exactly. toner, your if ink. If you had to set up a whole it, office to have to generate this income, well, maybe you had to go out and buy a computer and you had to buy a printer and ink cartridges and paper. All those things are going to be deductions. And if you didn't have to have that and you only needed it because of your business, well, then 100% of that would be deductible. You know, if you weren't going to buy a ream of paper, but you're only buying that for your business, then you would deduct 100% of that. See, I'm always afraid like giving tax advice because I don't know anything about taxes. And that's why I love you because you're my tax accountant. <laughs> because, you know, we all have our areas of specialty. Like, so when you go to a party, do people ask you like tax questions? All the time. <laughs> Everywhere I go, <laughs> when they you say, I'm a CPA. And they're like, well, let me ask you a quick tax question. Or, oh, I heard this from my friend or my brother's sister said this. So it's it's all over the place. But it it always it makes it interesting. I'm sure you get questions all the time too. So, <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, I was at a party. This is years ago now. This is actually like pre-COVID, right? I was at a party and this guy was like, opened up his phone. He's like, I don't know why. You know, my phone doesn't always do this. I even forget what it was, but it was all like in his settings. And I go, just go to the settings. This and this. And then I said, you know, but I said, I really don't want to answer any more of your questions. I really want to go mingle. And he's like, well, I just have like a couple more questions. And I said, well, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a gynecologist. And I looked at him and I said, I have no questions. You know, it's like, well, I'm just going to leave right yep. now. Just, that's where it is. So what, what kind of questions do people ask you? Um, a lot of times it's, oh, I just started a business. What can I deduct? Or, um, you know, I think I'm paying too much taxes. What, you know, what do you think? Is there anything, is there any new tax rules I should know about? Or can I claim my dog on my taxes? I get that a lot. <laughs> what, what, can you claim your dog? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but a lot of people no. treat their dogs as their dependents or their children. So that question is asked a lot. Okay. But, okay. But what if that dog was like an Instagram star okay, and you were making money off of that dog? Okay. But the dog dies. Okay. And it's a sad, it's a sad face for that. And you have, uh, say, 150,000 followers and you're making uh, $200,000 a year off this dog. But the dog suddenly passed away. But you can go pay $50,000 to have your old dog that was dead be cloned so now that you have a new dog. How much of that would be deductible? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, uh, that, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, because it's you know what it's actually happening. That's why I was that's why I was curious about it. I mean, because this is your business, right? Think about yes. it. And you wouldn't be money making any more money because there's no more dog. Yeah. But you could clone the dog and keep still keep making money. Yes. Okay. Granted, it's dog 2.0, and probably most people in your audience wouldn't even recognize it, other than that the dog was 12, but now the dog's you know 12 weeks old. And I, that's why I was just curious about it. It seems like there should be some deduction for that. I mean, it's an expense. Yeah, and and I've dealt with some with animals, and they're treated a little bit differently. So in that circumstance, cloning, you know, that may be a little different. I may have to get back to you on that. But, you know, at some point they would say, okay, well, the animal, you know, if it's 50000 to clone the dog, then you may not be able to write that off immediately. But maybe you depreciate the cost of the cloning over time because the dog may live to be twelve you know, 13 years old. So, um, but coning is definitely something that I'll have to, uh, <laughs> do a little research on. <laughs> okay. 
All right, I'm going to give you that one. Hey, listen, folks, stay right where you are because we're in conversation with Rachel Cheek, who is the smartest tax accountant that I've ever met. Well, Rachel, aside from your father, he's pretty darn good, too. (laughs) Aside from your dad. So stay right where you are because we have more exciting, I promise, tax talk coming up. Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We are having a great conversation with Rachel Cheek. She's a wonderful tax accountant based in Scottsdale, Arizona, and she's my tax accountant under full disclosure. And we're talking about, as we are all getting ready to do our, mm, yes, our taxes for 2021, and we've been talking about deductions and work from home and what about these child tax credits? Is there anything with that that we need to know? Yeah, for 2021, the IRS was giving advanced child tax credit payments, and that started around July. So if you were to receive the tax credits for your children, you were getting half of that in advance. So if you have two kids and, and let's say they were over six, you would get 3000 for each kid, so you'd be $6,000. But instead of getting that credit on your return, they were paying that half of that over six months. So you got that $3,000 over six months starting in July. I'm going to just switch gears for just a second, because I know this is a question that, that a lot of people have. Let's say you do your own taxes, and let's say you make a mistake, or your accountant does taxes, and that he or she makes a mistake. What are the odds of getting audited? The odds of getting audited are very small, but if you report something incorrectly, you're going to get a notice. So typically with those notices, those can be considered an audit. It's just because there's a discrepancy. So let's say you report 10,000 of income, but you really made 20. Well, the IRS matches up those records and then they send out a notice with a discrepancy. And everything can be amended and fixed, but nobody ever likes to receive a notice in the mail from the IRS. Which the IRS is never going to call you, right? They're, they're not going to email they, you. They will, they're not they going to text you. They will you. not email you, but they do every once in a while call. Um, oh, they do? Yeah. I didn't know that. I one of I had a client a couple weeks ago received a call from the IRS because he didn't have a uh, 941 report filed. The IRS didn't have record of it. They called to get a copy of it. That was more so for a business. Um, typically they will not call. They definitely will not email. So any emails, I would definitely not respond. Okay. So we're talking about federal taxes. What about state taxes? Do we need to know anything about that? And I know it varies from state to state. Well, Arizona right now, the highest rate is 4.5%. Um, so it is a lot lower than some other states. Um, we're right in the middle, there's a lot of Arizona state credits available, so you can reallocate your tax dollars um, to some of these organizations. So instead of paying to the Department of Revenue, let's say you make a $400 donation to a, pro- a public school, if you're that will that $400 donation will reduce your tax liability dollar for dollar. So Arizona is one state that does allow those tax credits, which are great ideas you know, to redirect your tax dollars to an organization you might feel strongly about. So depending upon where somebody's living right now, they just have to look up their state tax credits and then a list will probably appear? Yeah. um, I'm not sure about other, a lot of other states don't have those state credits available. Arizona is one of them. And you can essentially Mm -hmm. redirect if you're married filing joint about over $4,000 
of your state wow, liability to different organizations, private schools, public schools, um, qualified charitable organizations, and qualified foster care organizations as well. So when we talk about all the states, which state, uh, which state will cost you the most to live in for your state and federal taxes? Is that California? Okay, probably California. New York is probably a pretty close with a lot of their state and local taxes as well. Um, running a business in California can be quite expensive because you pay $800 filing fee every year to California just to have a business in that state. And then if the business is profitable, you're paying extra on that as well. So I'd say California and New York are the top two. Gosh, there's so many businesses leaving California. They're all I coming mean, a lot here. of tech companies. <laughs> Yeah, they're coming to Arizona or Texas. Yes. Does, does Texas have favorable rates? There's no state taxes in Texas. Um, so if you live there, you're not going to pay state income tax, but their property taxes are pretty high. Um, their other taxes kind of make up for that. So whereas Arizona, we do have, you know, four and a half percent highest rate, but our our property taxes are a lot lower than if you were to own property in Texas. Or California. Yeah, or California, <laughs> yeah. California. Oh my gosh, California property taxes are just crazy. I mean, just nutso. You want to hear something funny about California taxes? I think I may have told you the story. Is that Barry bought me a purse, okay, an expensive purse. Bought it in London, had it shipped over, and then we did not pay, did not know to pay a California import tax because he had it sent to our house in California. Well, 18 months later, we had got a letter in the mail from the state of California that said, you owe uh, import taxes. We're like, what? What's going on with that? Just, it's like, wow, everybody you turn around in California, yeah, there's the some gift type that keeps of giving. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. All right, let's switch gears one more time. When do you know that you can't file your own taxes that you need to find somebody like you to help you out? If you have a W-2 and maybe um, itemized deductions, you, you may be able to use TurboTax and navigate through it. Um, the minute that your taxes become more complicated, if you have multiple 1099s, if you have rental properties, the more schedules, the more room you have for error. So it may be a good idea at that point to you know, hire somebody, a professional, who's used to seeing these forms and can get everything completed without having any errors and creating any IRS notices. And then do the tax preparers give you like a whole list of this is what you need to provide? Yeah. At our firm, we provide tax organizers. So it helps our clients organize their tax documents and everybody's situation is a little bit different. So once we have our clients in our system, it will send out organizers based on the client's prior year returns. So if a client had two rental properties, those will be included and it'll give them cues for the items that we're needing so that we can get a complete return. But before we finish anything, we go through all the details with our clients so that we make sure we're not missing any, you know, any sources of income or any deductions. So, so you mentioned TurboTax. Is that the best, in your opinion? I would say if you're going to be preparing it on your own, TurboTax is the best. It's going to walk you through the process. It's going to say, do you have a W-2? Input your number here. Um, and it's it's pretty cost efficient for, for what it provides. But the more schedules, it starts leading you into other directions where you can you can create errors or problems. So it does work. It's just a matter of, you know, sometimes it can take an hour for somebody to do it, but sometimes I've heard people it takes five hours and it just depends on 
Is that how you want to be spending wow. your time? I, not me. No, thank you, Rachel. I'll pay you. I will. There's a lot of things um, in my life so, that I pay somebody for as well. So yes, I can do taxes, exactly. but I can't, you know, I can't fix any of my electronics. So, <laughs> okay. And I can fix your electronics. So we ought to be able to like do a barter yeah. at some point. Um, is there a, is there a baseline on like how much somebody should be paying their accountant to do their taxes? Again, I know it depends if it's a personal or business, but it, just to give people an idea of how much that might be. It really depends on the time that it takes. Our firm, we, we base it on the time that we're spending on the return and spending with the client. Some firms base it off of forms and how many forms you you know prepare. So an H&R block may say, okay, we are, you know, you have a W-2, you have a Schedule A, you have a Schedule E. They charge, you know, $150 for this form, you know, $15 for an extension. They charge maybe form-based. We just charge for the time that it takes to prepare it. So you could go to a lot bigger firms too, and, and it could be thousands of dollars. So it's, it's, there's a wide range. Wow. Now, how many years do you have to save documents just in case the IRS... They come back to you and say, you remember like four years yeah. ago, you drove Lyft for a week? I mean, how long do you have to save that type of documentation? We typically tell our clients to save the documentation for seven years. Um, seven years is a good is a good base to use. The, the IRS can open up the prior three years of returns. If they, if they audit you for any of those three years and they find any discrepancies, then they can open up prior years to that. Um, but if it's a closed year, they can't go further back. So seven years gives you a good base that just in case they open up something, they could go back a couple more years. Wow. And that brings up the whole thing about how do you store it electronically, right? I mean, I mean we used to have like, like disks, then we had memory cards, and then people are putting on USB drives, right? And then... So obviously you want to make sure that you have all the stuff like saved someplace in the cloud. Yeah, save right? it in the cloud so that you have it just in case you were to get audited and you need to provide the backup. I mean, typically if you keep it, if you have it for the prior three years, you're going to be safe. But if there's an underreporting issue, they could open up prior years. But you're always supposed to keep tax returns forever. So, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of storage space, but the IRS does that say is. to keep those tax returns forever, the backup for it. I would suggest seven years. So really forever? forever. Like forever? Yes. Honest? I didn't know that. Yes. Forever. Yes. Wow. Every year. Oh, I haven't man. seen them go back that far, but they said you're supposed to keep tax returns forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Well, I hope you have them. Yep. Just say it because I don't. <laughs> we have a big cloud That's awesome. full of uh, prior year returns. <laughs> That is something else. And so, you know, if you're going to be over at the IRS website, want to make sure that you set up that PIN. They were going to do facial ID recognition, but you don't have to do that anymore. But the whole idea with the PIN is that nobody can impersonate you, which brings up another point um, that you want to file your taxes as soon as possible so that people don't file the taxes for you and then get your refund, right? Yes. Typically, if if someone files um, a return on, and fraudulently, then you you're not going to be held responsible if they get a refund, but it could hold up your tax return and the processing of your return if you are due a refund. So the sooner you get it filed, the safer you are. And if you do have fraudulent returns filed in prior years, the IRS will issue you a PIN. So that way they will not accept any 
return unless you input that PIN, and the PIN will change every year. So it's an additional safeguard. And your taxes are due April 15th? Yes. This year, it's actually April 18th because... Some holiday. Some holiday in Washington, D.C., so that's celebrated on the 15th. So the tax deadline this year is April 18th. And so you have to file your taxes or file an extension, yes. correct? Yes. File taxes by the 18th or an extension, but the extension gives you more time to file, not more time to pay. So if you do owe taxes and your returns aren't completed, you should at least pay w- with that extension payment. What is the strangest thing, Rachel, that somebody ever wanted to deduct that you were looking at them going, I'm not sure, aside from cloning a dog, <laughs> what, what is the strangest thing where somebody said, you know what, I should be able to deduct this from my taxes? Hmm. <laughs> well, let me think. I mean, the dog comes up all the time. I have so many clients who say, well, my dog is like my child. I should be able to deduct them as a dependent. Um, but I do have some clients who have therapy dogs and, and that does actually, if it's medically required, there are ways to deduct your uh, dog as a medical expense. But again, that comes with some other so rules. Um, so if it's like a, if a comfort dog, a support dog, then you can deduct dogs. some of those yeah, expenses? You can deduct it as a medical expense, so the cost to have that, that animal. Kind of like a, um, uh, like you said, a therapy dog. So some people are, you know, need to have those animals with them, so it does count as medical. I'd say I have a lot of um, sig- significant, or let's say boyfriend, girlfriend, and they want to they claim the other because one, <laughs> one doesn't work or whatnot, so... <laughs> Well, what if what if the doctor prescribed, which I don't know if you remember this, it was about a year ago, that a, a woman wanted to get on a United Airlines flight with her therapy peacock. <laughs> I mean, a bona fide peacock. <laughs> Could you just imagine working at the gate going, excuse me, what is, what is that <laughs> that you want to bring on the airplane? You know, then there was a therapy pig. There was a therapy monkey. I mean, it's like... Yeah. Where does it it end? Yeah. So I guess that if you needed that and the doctor prescribed it, there's probably a way to make that happen. Yeah. There's a way around it. But again, it's the the therapy dogs that I've seen deducted, it's more for medical and the medical has to be more than seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income to get benefits. So typically it's not going to be big deductions, but you never know. Well, Rachel, thanks for helping us sort all this out. And now, this is probably your busiest time of year? Yes. From now until about April 18th, we will be burying our heads in our computers and getting all these taxes done because it looks like this year the the filing deadline will be April. It don't, doesn't look like it will be extended. Last year was May. year before that was July. So we'll be busy. So you better get to all your receipts and scans and all the paperwork in order. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thank you Throw for having great. me. Before I leave you with a really funny joke about taxes, you're just going to laugh like crazy. I'm sure you understand how helpful a savvy accountant can be. Now, sadly, you have to look out for a lot of scam artists who pose as the real deal online. So protect yourself by looking up a reputable tax preparer. And to find a good one near you, search the IRS directory. It lets you filter by people with IRS-recognized professional credentials. You can also find people with what's called PTINs, That's short for Preparer Tax Identification Number. This is a necessity. 
The IRS requires any federal tax preparer to have this number. If you speak with a potential preparer and they have no clue what you're talking about, just run. Personally, I think it's always good to do the old-fashioned way. Ask around for personal recommendations from family and close friends. Okay, are you ready for my joke? Yes, okay. This is all happening in a classroom. The teacher says, if the income tax is 20% and your father earns $50,000 a year, how much tax does he pay? And the kid raises his hand. He says, oh, I know, I know, I know, $100. Teacher says, let's try again. If the income tax is 30% and your father earns $100,000, how much does he pay? Same kid raises his hand and goes, I know, I know, I know. And the teacher says, how much? And the kid says, $100. Teacher's like, okay, let's just have one last try. If the income tax is 50% and your father earns a million dollars, how much does your father pay in taxes? And the kid raises his hand again and goes, I know, I know, I know. And the teacher says, how much? The kid says, $100. Teacher says, you know what? We need to really revisit this. Meet me after school because you are not understanding percentages at all. And the kid looks at the teacher and says, I'm sorry, ma'am. You don't know my father. All right. I heard you laugh. Thanks for listening to this episode. Do us a huge favor. Give us a great rating. Five stars. We love that. And just a quick reminder, this is not the Kim Commando Show podcast. My three-hour weekend show, you can hear as a podcast on Apple Podcasts. You have to actually search for Kim Commando Show. Or you can just sign up and get the podcast as webcast, whatever you want. All three hours streaming on demand. You also get all the archives by heading over to getkim.com. It's just a few bucks a month. Getkim.com. And we'll see you again next time. <laughs>